you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Richard Matthews, and I'm super, super excited to talk with Richard today because he's on the road and traveling, and he has been now for four years. So welcome to the show, Richard. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Excellent. Richard, there's people around the world who haven't yet met you and your RV. So would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction to who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Richard Matthews. Um, I'm the founder of uh, Push Button Podcasts, which is a, a white glove agency, a full service agency for podcasters, for small businesses who want to uh, use and leverage the multimedia world of, you know, uh, of podcasting to help drive awareness, attention, and authority for their business and drive leads and sales. Um, so anyways, we handle everything for, uh, a, pod, for a, a business in the podcasting realm after they hit that stop record button. We do all the work for them. Um, so that's uh, what we do with Push Button Podcasts. And I run that business from a 40-foot bus, um, a, a Class A RV with my wife and four kids and a dog. And we've been traveling the world for um, like I said, four years now, and I have a, a, a dispersed team. So we got a lot of experience running our organization with, you know, we were, we were doing remote work before it was cool um, after the COVID crisis. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. And Richard, one of the first things you mentioned was about building systems. And that is one of my favorite things to talk about as well. So I think we should, uh, we should touch on that a little bit. So what, what's been your experience so far with building systems and what's sort of your mindset around it? Yeah, so I, I have a, a podcast I have called uh, The Hero Show and my uh, um, we, we talk through, talk to entrepreneurs about uh, whether, you know, uh, through their stories if they're a comic book superhero. So my superhero, like, uh, I don't know what you call it, my, uh, my superhero avatar on that show is The Alchemist. Um, and I always tell people my superpower is seeing the systems behind things. Right. Because um, that's the way that I look at it and see the world is I can I, I see the systems that are the way the way people do stuff. Um, everything. And it's been a really helpful skill. I can pick up skills quickly because of that. So like I've learned I learned to draw in a couple of weeks or learned to play the piano and read music faster than my wife thought was possible. Um, because you see, I, I just see systems where most people see steps and actions and whatnot. I see the systems behind things, um, which has been a useful skill set to have. And what that sort of led me to in my business um, was doing a lot of business or of systems building for my own business. Um, and then realizing that when other business owners saw how we did things, they also wanted to learn my method for building systems. So I've actually got a, a course now called push button process that teaches my methodology for how to build business systems. Um, and I have a couple of basic rules for systems building that I follow. The first one and the most important that everything else sort of like leans on is the idea that um, systems have um, are they, they need to be blended between human beings like your human capital and your robot capital, right? Or your automation ability. Um, and the, where most people get that wrong is they don't know where the dividing line is between what should be automated and what should be handled by human beings. Um, and so my number one rule is creativity 
is the realm of human capital and um, everything else can be automated. Right. And so that's where, where we look at building our systems. That's sort of my first rule. I got a bunch of other stuff that sort of follows along that, but that's my core principle for looking at and building systems is where you divide the line between human capital and, you know, robot capital. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I, I think that, uh, that it's an, it's a good way to look at it. Right. I think a lot of the time when I see people trying to do so and build systems, uh, they they make it often too complex, right? And they make it that they, they they're so good at finding reasons for why it won't work and why you can't put a system around it, instead of just doing it, right? And I think a lot of the time, uh, exactly as you said, I mean, there is ways to automate most things, right? Uh, there's definitely some creative aspect. There's definitely some aspect that are sometimes not automatable, but in in general. Um, particularly with systems, right? I mean, nowadays, there's so much opportunity, not just to put them into a process, but also actually automate things to make it happen by, without having to have people yeah. pushing the buttons, right? So. Yeah, and so, so what the way I approach uh, systems design now is I have, I have a language framework that I use that I teach people. Um, and it's essentially, it follows, there's four, four primary words that people use interchangeably that, you know, if you actually look up the definitions aren't terribly interchangeable. Um, and so it's systems, workflow, process, and steps. Um, and your systems are the overarching like goals for a business. Um, and your systems are generally broken down into specific workflows. Um, and then each workflow has the processes that happen inside of it. And then each process has the steps they go into it. So it's hierarchical. Um, so as an example, in our podcasting business, we have a, um, we have a podcast, you might have a podcasting system in your business, right? And the goal of the podcasting system um, can be kind of ethereal, right? It's to increase awareness or it's to, um, it's to, to increase the attention in your, your space or to create preeminence, right? It's not, it, your systems aren't generally specifically measurable, um, but then you take the next level down when you get into your workflows, your workflows are what make up the system, right? So if podcasting is your system, then your workflows might be, you might have a guest booking workflow. And that has a very specific measurable outcome, right? Where it's like, I need to go from, I don't have a guest on my show. Do I have a guest who's booked in on the calendar and ready to show up? Right. And then you might have a workflow for recording your podcast. Um, and that has a very specific measurable result where at the end of the workflow, you should have a recorded episode. And then you have the post-production workflow. And again, that has a very specific measurable outcome. So um, when people use the language that way, um, then it really helps in the designing the system, right? And then each workflow is gonna have the processes that make it up. So if you had post-production, you might have the process for editing the video and the process for editing the audio and the process for creating the graphic assets and the process for creating um, the written assets, right? And so the processes make up the workflow, which give you the defined outcome. And then each process, of course, has the step-by-step, -step, right? So if you're editing audio, step one is, you know, download the audio file. And step two is cut out all the ums and ahs. And step three is, you know, whatever the, the steps are. And I find that when you have a really solid language foundation for how a system is designed, um, it's easier to like hold it in your head because you have the right words, you know what you're, you're actually going to build. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think I like the way you think about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, but that's that's good, Richard. And what when did you start building systems in your business? Like, was it a day one thing? Or like, at what point did you like realize we need some systems? So 
It was, um, I, I have been building templates and systems and other things since probably since day one, since I started, but it wasn't with the awareness that that's what I was doing. Right. And it wasn't with the awareness that I like that. I, I, I was just doing things that I thought made sense and later realized what I was doing was building systems. Um, and because that lack of awareness, my early business career and my early systems were sort of haphazard and messy. Um, and as I've gotten to be a, uh, you know, a more experienced entrepreneur and more experienced with building systems and having my own language framework to use and understand things, a lot of that has gotten a lot more refined. Um, and it really took a huge jump when I started hiring team members and started having systems that I wasn't just responsible for by myself. Um, because if it's all responsible by yours, if it's just you, it's really easy to have a messy system. Um, because it's all in your head. And if something doesn't work the way that you want it to, you can just overcome it and you know keep going and not even really miss a beat. Um, but as soon as you add other people into your business and you have to have processes followed the way that you want them followed, you have to have a lot cleaner systems. Um, so they've gotten a lot better over time as I've grown my business and grown my team. Excellent. Yeah, that makes sense as well. And, and I am sure a lot of the listeners can definitely, uh, definitely see themselves in that. I see... Uh, what well, one of the biggest things I see a lot is people, they know they have to build processes and often what happens is they find some time, they sit down, they build the processes and then no one looks at them for two years. And then all the processes that was built are suddenly out of date and no longer very relevant in the business, right? So what, yeah. what's your system then for keeping processes and workflow up to date? Like how do you again so think about we, that? We build our processes and our process documentation into our project management systems. So as an example, um, we use Trello because I really like the Kanban style um, thing for keeping track of projects. You can do it with any system you want though. We just happen to prefer Trello because it's where we're at. Um, but what we do is, you, so if you, I mentioned earlier, you have systems, workflows, processes, and steps. So we, we consider a Trello board, a particular Trello board is one workflow, right? And it has a start and it has an end and it has a very defined beginning and a very defined end. Um, so we use a, a complicated version of Trello's um, to do doing done methodology, where a new task will come in, it'll come on the first list of a Trello board, the first step of the workflow is, hey, we got a new item that you're following along your workflow. So in the case of a podcast episode, like when we're doing the post production, it comes in, hey, a new episode is recorded. And it drops in on that Trello board for post production as a to do. And it goes through all the different processes um, that go all the way across until it's published, right? And so it goes from to do, you know, raw episode to published finished episode, and all the little to do's in the in the middle are the processes that happen. And so what we do is in each one of the work in each one of the processes in the workflow, right? So if it's if it's editing the podcast for the final audio, for instance, is one of our one of our, uh, our processes, um, it'll have a checklist. And the checklist will have, you know, we need to do x, y and z to the audio in order for it to be completed. And so each one of those um, those items in the checklist, we will have a, um, the checklist will actually have, you know, this is the thing that needs to get done. And then it'll have a link to our process document for that item, right? That actually walks through the individual steps to accomplish that thing. Um, and so it does a number of things for us. One, it, it um, when someone gets dropped into that list, like if we hire a new staff member, we can actually put them right into our project management system and the project management system will train them through the stuff they need to do. 
Um, and it also is out of the way for someone who has done the process a number of times already and already has it like second nature. But the, the documentation is there as a backup if they need it. It's right in the, in the uh, checklist of the project management system. So they're sort of tied together like that. Um, and then it's really easy if um, when someone um, is looking at it, if, if one of the processes changed, that it's really obvious in the checklist, right? That this is different now. So we just go in and update those processes. Um, so by keeping them married together where the project management and the documentation for the actual processes the project management is tracking, um, by keeping them together like that, it, a, it helps you train your employees and bring people up to speed really quickly. And it also keeps your process documentation up to date um, because it's obvious when something isn't working anymore. And that makes a lot of sense as well. I am also a fellow absolute Trello fanatic. Uh, I, I, I love using way, Trello the way you just described. Uh, the, the, one, the one time where I feel it can be a little bit challenging is if you have multiple processes happening at the same time, right? So it, it works great yeah. as a workflow where you kind of have one step and you know one person pushes us to the next. Uh, there's definitely also some workarounds to try and have multiple steps and so on, but but it, it definitely works best when it's kind of one step at a time process, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm a huge fan does, as well. It doesn't do the wildest, the wildest also that um, style systems as well as it first this, then that kind of systems. Yeah. <laughs> so but that's yeah it's good i i'm, I'm a big fan and I, again i love simplicity right i, I think uh, initially in one of my businesses we we had a lot of customers come in and you know they were we, we, we gave them access because they were basically having virtual assistant work for them and so on and we gave them access and initially we we're trying asana out and so on and it was just like Trello was just so simple for everyone. The same, like you, you literally spend five minutes training an employee in how to use Trello, right? Like it's it's yeah. that simple and it's that intuitive, which I really, really yeah. love about it's, it. It's like the task comes in as a card. You just move the task. That's all you yeah. got to do. Um, we do a couple other things too with Trello for people who use it. Um, we put sticky cards at the top of every one of our lists. Um, and the sticky card at the top of the list has a label on it that says sticky. Um, and we got a couple of rules that keep those cards at the top of the lists. Um, and when you pop that card open, it's got a description of the process. Um, and so the description on that top card is like, hey, you know, if the process is edit the audio, right, like we've been talking about, then it has a full description of the process. And then it also has a full description of any automations that are applied to that particular list, right? So if Zapier is affecting anything on that list, or if, you know, the Trello's Butler rules are affecting any of the list, it's all detailed on there. So someone would know, someone can look at the list and know, you know, what's, human versus robot capital is happening on, on this list and what the des expected desired outcome is. And we also put any templates on that sticky card. So, right, so if there's a checklist um, that needs to happen, we'll put a master checklist in that sticky card um, with any of the assignments for who should be doing what on that, um, on that list. And so you have one place that you can update that stuff and anytime a card moves over there, the checklists are copied from that sticky list onto um, the task card that's moved in. Um, so it makes managing the Trello board really simple. Sounds good. Sounds good. And uh, yeah, you, you have been managing a, a remote team for quite a while. How, how big is your team now? We have a small team. We've just got four people. So it's myself and, uh, and uh, three individuals. I've got a uh, multimedia um, and my chief of staff. And then we have a uh, data management um, individual and then a writer um, full-time who does writing and transcription for us for our podcasting agency. 
Um, and we're looking to uh, grow that significantly over the next couple of years as we increase our number of shows that we're managing on push button podcasts. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're at right now. Um, and that's, uh, we've been doing that for years. So. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, I mean, you, you've been remote since day one, I take it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's been your experience with, with all this remote work? I mean, obviously lots and lots of people have, joined the bandwagon now with COVID, but what, what's been your experience in terms of the pros and cons and so on with, with having staff members remote? So um, the, the biggest pro I think for me is that at least like the company culture I've been trying to build is that we, we're very focused on outcomes and getting the work done and not focused on how many hours people are working. Um, and it's really easy to do that when you're not all sitting around next to each other in the office um, to focus more on the outcome of the work than being busy. Um, so that I think is one of the big benefits. Um, the other benefit is you have access to a very wide pool of talent. Um, when you're hiring locally, um, you're hiring from the pool of talent that's available, you know, within driving distance of your local area. Um, and I, I work with a, an e-commerce company that we've been trying to hire for. And it's been a big struggle because we've been trying to hire people locally. Um, and there's the pool of talent is just very small and it's very difficult to find the right person to fit for the job. Um, when we hire um, remotely, it's, I don't know, there's just, because you have such a vast pool you're pulling from, it's much easier to find the right person. Like you have to filter through a bit more people. Um, but you have so many people that will come in and show that it's easier to find the right one. Um, I think so. Those are some of the, uh, the pros um, cons is it's, is it's a little more difficult to get to know each other and to really build a culture. So you have to try a lot harder um, to build a company culture um, and you have to be more intentional about it. Um, and so we do a couple of things like we do uh, weekly chat meetings and we have things like our, our uh, group communication where we have like weekend chats and we keep up with each other on birthdays and other things that are going on. Um, so you just have to, you have to be more intentional about creating a community with your team. I totally agree on that. And I, I think for me, at least culture and, and generally having a, a set focus on that and, and actually really pushing that is, is so important when you're remote, right? Because again, like for every human being on planet earth, sometimes, you know, you might be supposed to be working, but everyone have this thing called discipline and, you know, some have a little bit, some have a lot more, but the best thing you can do for yourself and, and your business is really build, you know, a culture where, where there is a good work discipline. And it doesn't necessarily mean to work a hundred hours, but it's, you know, you want your team and you want your people to have a discipline that makes your things get done. Right. Yeah. Because if, if you keep failing on deliverables, then uh, remote culture very quickly dies. Right. Yep. So, Excellent. Well, that's that's good to hear. And what's what's what sort of where or where I should say have you primarily been hiring? So, are you primarily hiring in the U.S. or have you been hiring anywhere? We hire we hire in the Philippines mostly. Okay, excellent. Because I got a lot of experience there. They speak English um, as a, generally as a first language, so they they learn English in uh, in primary school all the way through to college, um, yep. and. Uh, um, the, uh, the, there's not a lot of cultural difference with the way language is used. Um, I found in a few other, um, when you hire from some of the other cultures like India, for instance, 
not, nothing wrong with Indian workers, but there's just a different way. Like when, when we say yes in English, a lot of times it means, it means, it means yes. Like, yes, we're going to do that. And in India, yes, generally means I understood you or I heard you. Um, and so you have to be aware of those differences uh, when you're hiring in different cultures. Um, and I've just found um, the, the Philippine culture is, I, I have to think less about it when I hire from the Philippines than I do in other places because it's very similar to the American culture yeah. in terms of like how we speak and how we interact with each other. That makes a lot of sense. So I have a big outsourcing company in the Philippines as well. So uh, I, yeah, I, I love the Filipinos as well. They're, they're extremely nice people on top of it all. So yeah, it's good. Excellent, excellent, Richard. Um, yeah, so so remote teams, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that I, I, I have this expectation that even when COVID finish, so many businesses suddenly realize, oh, you know, we can do this thing remotely. We don't need a 20, 30, 50 grand office to have all these people in. We can either have a smaller office or perhaps not have an office at all. So I, I really have an expectation that lots and lots of business owners are going to change their office sort of behavior. And yeah. I de definitely will not be investing my money in um, large office yeah, buildings in New York large anymore. Large office, office buildings and sort of that kind of real estate, right? Like that's, uh, I, I, I think they will they will face a tough time because for, for many, many years, I mean, I, I've been in the outsourcing game since 2007 or so and um, yeah i mean it, it used to be like a struggle to try and explain to people that you can hire you know more cost effective labor on the other side of the planet and you know that kind of stuff and it used to be like very exploratory and you know first movers type of thing whereas uh, i mean today it's everyone knows what it is, right? Like when you're talking outsourcing yeah. or when, when you're talking about people halfway around the world, like most people have been in a scenario where they've had a colleague sitting far away, right? And then yeah. like people always like, yeah, but it's so far away. And I'm like, if you have an office in Houston and you have an office in, I don't know, my Maine or something, like in, in the end of the day, like it, it does, it's the same thing. Right, like it doesn't matter the distance. I mean, obviously, again, as you mentioned, it's harder to visit, it's harder to see each other frequently. But uh, from a work perspective, right, it, it doesn't matter where in the world you are. Uh, I've yeah. I've now, especially, especially with the yeah. technology nowadays, like you and I can sit here and talk, and I'm in Maine, and I don't know where you are right now, but we're not next to each other, that's for sure. Yeah, and and that's the thing, right? I mean, I, I I've enjoyed it immensely, and I've hired. Yeah, I've definitely hired people on every continent. Uh, I definitely haven't hired people on every country yet, but um, I, I love the ability to look at different places, look at different people. And it's uh, a lot of the time, particularly from America, there used to be this sort of, oh, but you know, if you're not hiring Americans, you're really, you know, you're stealing American workforce and so on. But again, that's primarily for people who, who doesn't understand business as well, because reality is if if you're paying someone 10 15 bucks an hour to do things that is not worth getting done at that salary then you probably won't and that means that there's a lot of stuff that can actually grow a company that is just not happening because it's not valuable to do 
But when you have lower workforce, and, and one of the things I see it happen with a lot is like lead generation as an example, right? Whereas a company, it, it doesn't make financial sense to pay 15 bucks an hour to have someone to do lead generation. And I mean, I'm sure there's ways to do, but but in, in a lot of lead generation ways, that might not make sense. But if you can do it at five bucks an hour or whatever, then suddenly it makes business sense to do it, right? And what happens yeah. is that when that happens, effectively what happens is more jobs also get created in the US, right? Because when yeah. you suddenly sell more products, you sell more services, more stuff are being, uh, are being bought and sold. What that means is that it creates jobs in back in the US as well, right? So yeah. I, I think a lot of the time, that's really how I look at business. And I, I again, tide raises all ships. Yeah, exactly. And, and reality is if you're doing a job, just pressing a button right now, like, you might, I mean, you might complain, you might say, oh, you know, I should be 15 bucks now instead of 10 bucks now. And that's great. But the whole thing is if it, if it's not valuable for the company to do it, or, you know, if, if the company can't sell the product because it's not competitive to do it, then in the end of the day, it won't happen, right? Like it's not because yeah. people don't want to pay a fair wage. That's not the point. The whole point is that all business, they, they need to be able to sell their products. And, you know, if you cost twice what the competitors cost, then, uh, in the end of the day, you you don't have a better product per se, then you know you you're not going to be in business very long. And then the jobs go away. <laughs> and then the jobs go away. And that's what what uh, I mean. That's honestly what you see happen a lot, right? Yeah. And I, I I think when 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 people see the opportunities and when people start moving into it, I mean, many many people work not just online, right? But but there's more and more people who work in businesses that are primarily driven online and that are seeing some of these opportunities and seeing some of this growth that can happen. Right. And I, I think it's, it's a big eye opener. And I, I really expect like after COVID, I, I expect a huge, huge changes in the business world in general. Yeah. It's a uh, opportunities like we've never seen before because the world has experienced a paradigm shift in how business is done and how work is done. Um, and I think, I think we're going to see, probably explosive growth over the next 10 years, like we've not ever seen before. That's my I, own gut feeling. I, I expect the same thing. Obviously, there might be a, a little financial impact as well, but there, there's so many, like one, one of the big things is that when you have a big office, when you have a lot of set expenses, something like COVID is, is choking you, right? Because if, if you're paying 50 grand to an office that you can't touch, that's a lot of expenses, and if your if your income either decimates completely or goes down, uh, I had a couple of friends in the travel industry that you know had a big team, and you know they had to close down because no one's traveling abroad, and there's no money no money to be made, or not a lot of money to be made in it, right? And in, in the end of the day, like they they had no options, and you know it's it's great the government is trying to help and stuff, but but in the end of the day like this big impact to, to real businesses, right? And uh, like most of these people, again, have switched to other models, right? Like they've switched online, they're looking at other opportunities, they're, they're looking to what they can do without that big overhead, right? And yeah. uh, I, I expect to see a lot more of that. Absolutely, me too. So Richard, I mean, you, you've built this business from the ground up by yourself. So any, any particular tips in terms of like resources or the likes that you recommend to other business owners that they could benefit from big time? Um, so my 
like as far as building a business from the ground up, my, my, it's less of a resource and more of a mindset. Um, especially if you're earlier in the career, earlier in your entrepreneurial career. And it's, it's this, it's take the risk. Um, and what I mean by that is like my, my favorite metaphor is, you know, you can learn to, you can learn to fly on the way down, right? Jump off the cliff, learn to build a parachute um, while you're going. Cause if you don't, if you don't take the risk, you're going to miss the opportunities. Um, and most of the, most of my biggest wins and my biggest growth in business has always been when I've stepped out and done the thing I was afraid to do. And most of my biggest losses have been when I've said, no, I'm going to hold off. I'm not going to do that. Um, and so it's, it's a mindset that, um, that when you take the, when you take the risks, right. And I don't, I don't mean take like stupid risks. Don't like, you know, <laughs> make it, you know, destroy your life or destroy your business with it. But the ones that are palatable, um, take the risks and move forward. And what you'll find is that as you take more risks, your risk tolerance will grow and you'll get bigger and bigger opportunities because your tolerance for risk grows as you take more risks. Um, does that make sense? That's sort of like, that's, that's a mentality I've seen in my business has grown a lot because I have steadily increased my risk tolerance and taken the risks that have pushed my business forward a lot. Yeah, I, I don't think it's just that, right? I think it's, it's this natural human behavior where, you know, like we're more afraid to lose a hundred bucks than we are to not make a hundred bucks, right? And I think that's often what's holding people back when it comes to risk. Like, it's kind of like, you know, do you want to risk losing a thousand dollars or do you want to have the potential opportunity of making a million? And a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to risk losing a thousand dollars. Right. Um, so so it, it, exactly as you say, it's very much around mindset. And I think it's not just practicing it, but it's really being very, very conscious of the fact of just how we as human beings work, particularly in terms of yeah. risk. Right. Yeah. And it's, and you have to be really conscious of that idea that you're like looking at, I, I could lose this thing, but I have the potential gain for that thing. And the, uh, the potential gain in your head will almost never outweigh the potential loss. So what you have to look at, at least what I do with myself is like, okay, so I'm going to take this risk and assume I'm going to lose. How do I build back from that loss position? Um, and when I do that in my head, then I look at it, oh, it's not that bad, right? It's not that bad. I know I can come back from that loss. Here's how I would overcome that loss. And I go through it and it almost never ends up in that worst case scenario in your head, right? It also almost never ends up in the best case scenario in your head either, but it ends up somewhere in the middle, which is better than you would have been if you did nothing. Um, and so that's just a, a mind, like a mindset trick that I use for-, awesome. for yeah. I love it. I love it. Fantastic research. Well, thank you very, very much for joining me in this episode. Uh, if people are eager to get hold of you, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, you can reach out to us at uh, pushbuttonpodcasts.com. Um, we offer uh, demos. We got our contact stuff on there. Anything you want to uh, take a look at, um, it's a great place to uh, to uh, find us there. Um, we also uh, run a podcast called The Hero Show that you can check out on iTunes um, and other places. Awesome. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed podcasting a lot, and I, I think it's one of those things that actually help you. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of public speaking as well, but I know many, many podcasters who have benefited from starting a podcast, just learning to communicate, learning to network. I mean, it's, it's an awesome way to meet a lot of great people, right? And, yeah. Uh, getting a lot of fantastic guests like yourself. So, yeah. 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 It's also, it's also um, I, I call it a, the, the biggest networking hack in the world because when you have a podcast and you ask someone who you would like to meet, 
like, you know, someone who's on your dream 100 list or something like, Hey, I'd like to uh, chat. Would you like to come visit, you know, on our podcast far more likely to get a yes than, Hey, can I pick your brain for a minute? Or can I, um, you know, whatever you get, it's, it's really easy to open doors with a podcast. 100% agree. And I, I love using it like that as well. Like I, I think uh, podcasting in general is, a, I mean, it's, it's great at so many levels, right? I, I'm also very much into SE, uh, the world of SEO and so on. And it's also great for building lots of links and all this good stuff. So like I, I typically do about a hundred podcasts a year on, on other people's podcasts. Right. And uh, yeah, it's, even on small, tiny shows, like you, you build relationship with new people and, you know, it's not every single person that, that turns up to and changes your life. But the whole point is if you don't do it, then nothing changes yeah. anything, right? So yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's opening yourself up to those uh, black swan style events, right? Where, you know, you, you know, you do, you do a hundred shows and one, one relationship, you know, changes the whole paradigm. Right. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that happens when you actually get out and do things, right? It's all, it's back to that risk-taking stuff, right? You so take the risks, do the thing. <laughs> Richard, thank you very, very much for joining me today. It was awesome having you on the show. Yeah, thank you for, uh, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. And to the audience, we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much for hanging on this far. I hope you had a good time. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.